HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Two percent, two percent, two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah, anything to support local food, know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there, I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit wholefoodsmarket.com. I'm Chris Guzmi. And I'm Mary Izette. From Fomentabody. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Allora, bello mio, voglio solamente, meraviglioso te, da quando ero piccola, avevo sogni di un fidanzato perfetto, ti amo davvero, ti voglio bene. Salvami, baciami ancora, amami ancora, carissimo, cuore mio, dammi tutto del tuo amore, amore, amore. I know it's been a short time, but it feels like forever. You're always on my mind, now more than never. Can't remember life without you, the memories just aren't there. I think that my heart always knew that I needed you there.
be talking crazy, but please don't be afraid. Mm, I know you feel it too. I can tell in the way you behave. Pretty sure I know what to call it. Could call it love. Oh, but I don't want to move too fast. Identifying us. Maybe it's too early. Maybe it's too early. Tell me if it's early. Don't want to scare you. Oh, no. Don't want you to walk away. But I want you only. I want you only. You're the best part of my day. I love Write your wrongs, bonnet. Yeah, here you go talking that shit. I write them songs and make chicks spend nights and thongs, so to kind of not quite for long. Yo, you really drawn uh, right now. Love when I hear love when I spit. Yeah. Paint a picture, seeing love with the shit perfect. Seeing love with the drip. So, dog, I can't tell it's a chick. Nah. See, seeing love with my click. Get money, dress, fly, talk shit. I bet you played the pawn in the shit. Show me like Melissa Joan Hart and shit. Oh, yeah, you just shit. Need a chick to make a partner and shit. We can take a trip to the big car dealership. Come on, then we Think out. you know who you all dealing with. That no murder nigga killing shit. Nigga flow like water, BP, oil still spilling shit. Ball clothes, nigga still feeling it. One bottle left, nigga still chilling it. She still riding, nigga still willing it. Uh, uh. You know what? I should have listened to my girlfriend. I don't even know why I'm dealing with your dumb ass. I should have never put my emotions out there. I don't know why I gave you my time of day. Nobody wants to be with you. You're drunk all the time. You're tired. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, coming to you from beautiful, super hot California. Sit in the Noy House with Chef Greg Bernhardt. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much. Uh, so you've been open for a little bit now. Giant, amazing, beautiful location in Hollywood. Sort of like a beacon in this area because you drive down the street and it's pretty much just like Denny's and Arby's and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this this whole neighborhood is really known for fast casual. Um, more of the low end, um, super fast kind of feed the uh, studios. Um, we have this amazing and luxurious opportunity to be a part of this um, uh, Columbia Square. Uh, I don't know the the refurbishment or the the revitalization of this really amazing neighborhood with tons of history and um, opened Paley Restaurant about 12 weeks ago. How fast are those first three months? Oh, brutal. Brutal? Yeah, yeah brutal. And but it's tense. not, I mean, how long you been, it was, but it's more than three months. A year before you started opening the doors? Yeah, we started actually in and developing Neuhaus and we're actually part of, you know, watching this whole, um, uh, this whole campus, so to speak, wake up. And so, uh, started with getting in here, sweeping the floors, you know, helping build the kitchen, put together the uh, food menu, uh, and then slowly basically watched our restaurant being developed, um, right alongside of, uh, Neuhaus. And so I've had this amazing lens to look through watching Columbia Square really, like, wake up. 
Now, before we get more into the restaurant and more about Columbia Square, wait, go, let's go back to a little bit of your history. Now, you are okay. from Midwest, Montana. Is Montana Midwest? I think it's more mountain. Mountain. Or That's more Pacific mountain. Northwest, yeah. Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, bucolic growing up, farms, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Just yeah. What, what when someone who's only lived on the coast thinks of when they think of Montana. Yeah. I mean, big sky country for a reason. It's absolutely, it's breathtaking. It's really... A truly magical place, um, a place that I think people are a lot more connected to uh, food and a lot more connected to uh, the earth, really. Is it just because they see it? Yeah, I mean, you're just surrounded by it. You can't not, you know, be affected when you just look up at the mountains. It's, it's, a, it's a truly a magnificent thing. Now, uh, grandparents had a farm and a cattle farm. I mean, that was really connected, right? Um, no, it was more like... it. It's not so much a farm as my my um, grandparents, my grandfather had like um, apple trees and things like this, and then the other side of my family had cherry orchards. Oh. Um, uh, and then we grew up near a cattle farm. Gotcha. gotcha. So probably like way out on eighty first were the chutes. So they would bring all the cattle down in from you know the upper pastures, and then literally the you know the cattle would go down the chutes, get loaded onto the trucks to go to the killing yard. Gotcha. Now I know that you came to cooking professionally a little bit later yeah. in life, but do you have any memories of that time where you felt a connection to food or you felt that this might one day be calling for you or was it just like Montana, young, this is just life? Yeah, no, actually I had no idea. I had, I had zero I had zero idea and actually now only in retrospect does it really make sense to me because I ended up, you know my brother's a jazz musician, he lives in New Orleans and tours half the year with a bunch of crazy people and then... Um, I, I ended up going and studying art and then living in Europe and I was like, man, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be a painter. And when I got to Los Angeles, it just, the switch flipped inside of me and I felt like, I don't know, I felt for the first time a real connection to food. I mean, I was a guy who didn't eat anything green until I was like 16. Oh, so you, were, you, were you a young starving artist to a T? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you know, and plus growing up in Montana, it's easy, but it's steak and potatoes. I mean, sure. I grew up in a, um, in a, in a German family in the middle of, you know crazy beautiful big state that was all about agriculture and so none of that stuff ever actually occurred to me now how much of the discipline of being an artist and the fact that it is long hours little to probably even less pay than a chef yeah but skills refinement doing the same repetitive motion over and over again and then also building on that how much of that were you able to transfer to becoming a chef when you started cooking in earnest i think all of it i think uh, the most important part of it is understanding how to um how to cultivate um, the creative aspect of delivering food. I think they're really similar uh, in the respect that, you know, there's, you, you in essence are, are creating something from nothing. You have um, a goalpost that you need to get through, but um, the, 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 the physical and technical aspect of gathering these things together changing them, morphing them, and then putting them into a place for someone to view or someone to enjoy. I think they're very similar. Um, there's a lot more science, obviously, in food. Um, and I think that they really lend, I don't know, they, they lend each other, for me, um, a lot of power and a lot of respect because I'm able to switch my brain from, you know, the technical side of cooking and I'm able to really get into the artistic side. And then when it's time, I think when it's time, the, the science or the things that are just built into me now through 15 years of really hardcore cooking, now those things, I don't, I don't think I hang on so much the science end of it as now for me it's more 
just uh, I have the luxury of just switching into the artistic mode, and then at some point along the way, the uh, the technical aspect will come. And so, you know, putting pan, uh, paint on a canvas and putting food on a plate to me are almost almost identical. I mean, the fact that you got started in like the eight, late '90s, early 2000, which you could say was one of food's most avant-garde times as far as like literally painting and yeah. really science things like that. I mean, were you bringing any of that, or was it just? You were just like, I need to get a job so I can pay for the painting. In the beginning, yeah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, I washed dishes in a little Italian restaurant. I was scrubbing pots, and they gave me food and a paycheck, and I was able to go Beautiful. home and paint. And that's that was really where it all kicked off. Um, so you got to L.A. 2001? 2001, April 1st. April 1st. And what was the food scene like back in L.A. in, the, <laughs> in 2001? Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I would say, you know, it was very French, California. A lot of you, people were either straight out, like, fusion-y, um, or mm. they were very French, California. And what was draw? I mean, were you just already on the West Coast and you just went down to L.A.? Or what drew you to the city? Or was it the food scene that drew you here? Um, no. I, I, funny enough, it was, it was a lady. It was a girl. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, if I, I wonder if you could track the amount of moves for a significant other yeah. um, in the world and how that is really defined. I yeah. assume that that relationship is... Yes. No. Way. Yeah. Way, way, way of the dishwasher. Yeah. Um, but you got down here, and it was the, it was that. But when did it, you know, if your first job was washing dishes, and now you are, you have a, such a storied career here in L.A. And, right. You know, nationally, when did it click in going from, okay, it's going to pay the bills to go, this is going to be the lifestyle, and the, the, the painting is going to go to more of the hobby? It was really one person. I, um, I was working with Fred Eric, um, who at the time was, you know, he was really blowing up. He was yeah. a very trendy chef. He was really into... Um, a lot of fusion stuff. He was incredibly well studied, one of the more gifted guys I've ever cooked next to. But he brought this gentleman named um, Matthew Dixon, who just moved back here from Paris. And he was just a tornado of uh, passion and intensity and integrity. And watching him cook, I knew that I wanted to make that transition. And at that moment, I opted from, you know, being the guy who showed up and, uh, this makes me money to um, make paintings to I'm going to start showing up six, eight hours earlier for my shift. I'm going to learn saucier. I'm going to learn butchery. And, you know, within five years of making that decision, you know, I went with Neil Fraser and we won Iron Chef together. I really compressed a lot of intensity. I knew that this is the direction I wanted to go. Mm. And I knew that for me, painting as well, like there's a level of discipline that at the time I just didn't have the ability to see it but I knew that being in that kitchen and being around that structure I could still make incredible things happen but um, it would provide the framework that would allow me the kind of lifestyle that I wanted to lead, to lead what was the first dish that you came up with that you created oh, man. where you weren't just cooking these other guys food because you you know it seems like it was a lot of tutelage from when you started doing it and putting, right. cooking other guys but when did you go not only did I make something great, but all these other chefs that you respect go, that's something great. It was at, um, I can still remember this, it was at Chris Morningstar's wedding. and it was Shout out to Chris and Tareen. Yeah, right? Um, uh, and we, all of us, including like Eric Greenspan, I can't remember all the chefs were there. This is pretty common. Um, the chef's wedding is, you know. A, yeah, it's a real. It's a, it's a spectacle. Yeah. You know? And I remember bringing duck confit 
and having uh, Alex Aguineau, um, another kind of local chef who also came up with us in Patina. Um, and he was French, we called him Frenchy, but uh, uh, him actually saying, this is the best duck confit I've ever eaten in my life. And it was just kind of like, if I could have high-fived myself, I would have. I mean, yeah. like, it was... Just privately, privately in the bathroom by yourself. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like, um, I think that's when I, I, I guess when the things kind of started to come together. And then when did you decide that you're like, I'm going to start, I mean, you went to sort of open up Church and State yep. around late 2000s and things like that. Was that your first big venture out on your own? It was, yeah. Um, basically, Stephen Arroyo, who's kind of a legend in the community, um, underground, um, he came to me because he saw me working with Neil Fraser at Grace and... You know, every time he had ever come by the restaurant, I was there. It was nine in the morning or is it midnight? I was always there. So um, that was very, it was quite a big foundation for me. Um, and he came to me and he, we had, no, we ran into each other at the Silver Lake Street Festival. And he said, let's talk about the future. And I knew exactly what that meant. He had Cobras and Matadors, which was yeah. like this crazy, amazing restaurant. And he's, he, uh, he had basically always has his eye on you know, up-and-coming neighborhoods, and uh, we took a drive around, and the first place we looked at was um, Church and State, and, you know, stood back across the street, and I said, bar and bathrooms on the right, kitchen on the left, those two big windows, that's the dining room, I'm like, it's a French brasserie, and he was like, seriously, I'm like, yeah, he's like, what do we call it, and I'm like, that's your job. That's your job, that's not mine. Like, yeah, you're really good at that portion of it, so. And did you enjoy, I mean, what was the, the mental state of developing a menu I mean it's one thing to do Duncan Feet a wedding but another thing to right. like literally stake a whole business on your recipes and things like that you know I had the good fortune of the guys that I was working with up till then of allowing me a lot of creative freedom mm -hmm. to really express myself and then the other thing is that the framework around a French bistro or French brasserie is not going to change a lot sure. from Paris to California and so um, you know it took us three years really to get through from signing the lease all the way to opening that restaurant and so um, it was, you know, that was one of those situations where it kind of wrote itself and it was, a lot of the stuff was a no brainer to me. It was like, how do we, how do we lighten it up? How do we make it California? Right. But and did you find a little comfort in that framework then? Just yeah. like, instead of having to be like, sure. we're going to rewrite the book. Yes, absolutely. I, it's, listen, it's, it's easy and it's fun and it's my base. It's like, I really know French cooking. Right. So. It's good. What was the one dish that you felt that was the signature at the time that took that French bistro but made it a real California staple as well? I think it either the, maybe either the uh, Blanquette de Vaux mm. because we were just we were trying to use a lot of lighter um, products, not bathe it so much in heavy cream. So sure. it was more white wine based um, and really beautiful um, uh, turned vegetables and, and spring onions. And I it was simple, but it was it carried such a kind of um, a weight um, we also that was one of the first times where I really and since have never gone back is I, I just completely walked away from veal bones and just started doing a lot of my demi glasses with more um, chicken bases like chicken chicken mm. backs and spines and, and just really making a conscious effort to get away from the really thick gummy sauces and just like try to lighten everything up that I was doing so Awesome. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Paley, somebody who worked with Ludo, and the awesome, awesome influence that sort of CBS and all old Hollywood is. In Absolutely. New spot. We got a track uh, from X and Y live here on Snacky Tunes. We'll be right back. Set me on fire. 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Chef Greg Bernhardt of Paley and sort of a long who's who laundry list of the California cooking scene the last 15 years. Um, one of them being Chef Ludo. Guy to watch, you know, real up-and-comer, I think. Yeah. I think he's going to really do something. Yeah, you could say that. Um, but so you were at Church and State, and then you sort of caught Ludo's eye. Um, I, yeah, yeah, we'd, we'd met, and um, I actually, uh, upon leaving church and state, I knew that I wanted to take a step back, and I knew that I needed to, I wanted to refocus and relook at my entire career, and then... Which makes sense, because you sort of hit the ground running yeah. from washing dishes to owning your own place in a decade, and I think... It, Too much. Being an artist, you also have to, that's a big part of it, right? Yeah. You have to, got to self-reflect on how to move forward. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it was hands down the best thing I did for my career, for myself. Um, uh, basically, we ran into each other at, I can't remember, it was some kind of a food function. And I knew that he was working on Ludo Bites, and I knew what that entailed. And yeah. I, and I knew that um, if I was going to work under someone again in Los Angeles, I want it, it had to be the best technical finesse cook in Los Angeles. So was working under him, like, climbing the mountain, going to the sensei, just, Absolutely. like, yeah. just... You come in thinking you know and stuff, and then he breaks you down and totally yep. builds you back up. Totally, yeah, absolutely. Um, best, best thing he taught you. What's the best, simplest skill he taught you that you thought you had down? And he goes, "No, do it this way." I think, boy, that's there's just so much. There's really so much there. I think, uh, I think he, I think he taught me to really use my brain mm. to really think about cooking in a different way. I think prior to working with him, I didn't have, I didn't study it as closely I didn't have I wasn't um, asking myself those really deep and heavy questions what give me an example of a question uh, you know how to how to look at a piece of corn differently like hmm. yeah I mean I can shuck it off the cob and I can cook it or I can puree it or I can do this or that but like who would think to um, you know dehydrate the silk and then um, you know try to make a, a brown butter powder on top of it or sure. just, just to take one look at the food and then take a step to the left and then look at it again. And then beyond that, how to keep it so intensely consistent. The battles we were fighting being in other people's kitchens during pop-ups were just absolutely intense. And so, I mean, consistency was God. Yeah. How consistent could you be when you're doing pop-ups nonstop? Or is it just like, I mean, I'm not saying that you just understood that was part of what it was to be doing a pop-up, but yeah. did you just, was this an uphill battle the whole time? Oh, it was brutal. Yeah, it was intense. Yeah, super intense. So you work with Ludo, and then um, you decided that it was time to... You've learned not everything you could, but you decided that you wanted to do your own thing again. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that was my daughter being born. I, you know, it was... Hey, man. Family time. Yeah, right? Consistency. Yeah, and so I wanted to... You know, while I was having the best time cooking that I'd had in my entire career... It was, I'm sure it was nothing but fun. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah it was incredible. Um, it was time for me just to kind of grow into the next phase of my life. And while I could have stayed and stuck around for um, Trois Mac and Petit Trois, it was just time for me to go back and do what I had to do for my family. You know, um, these boutique things, the art, really leaving the art world for the world of commodity. I ended up, you know, going into these bigger multi-unit operations and then um, uh, and high volume, which is... It's, it's an amazing experience, and it's actually led me to this doorstep yeah. in, in, a, in a pretty magnificent way. So let's talk about Paley. How did that all come about? How did, when did you first hear whispers of it, and how did you get involved? Uh, I was in cahoots with a guy named Kyle Connaughton. He okay. was about to open a restaurant up in um, Northern California called Single Thread, which mm. is he's going to do for um, Hillsburg. I, people are kind of thinking what Thomas did for... Um, Man. Really? Yeah. He's a really, he's like one of the best chefs you've never heard of. And then... Is he a real chef chef? That super, type of guy? Super, super chef, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I'd met him through some of my Elbow Lee friends, and, and then simultaneously and serendipitously, one of, my, uh, one of my good buddies of like eight or nine years, he's one of the first members of Neuhaus in New York, and actually contacted me and said, hey, they're, I think they're going to be opening this Neuhaus in Los Angeles, keep your eyes open. And then connected with that... Um, you know, restaurants, blah, blah, blah. And so somehow it happened where I got into the same room with these guys and I just knew it was 
I knew it was a good fit. Now, was this this was a Plan Do C, the Japanese hospitality group, right? Exactly, yeah, Plan Do C. And uh, um, it was funny because my interview process, you know, uh, we ended up more hanging out. I was like, guys, let's go hang out at the farmer's market. Let's go do this and that. Yeah, but that's hanging out. That's, that's not like hanging out like at a rock show. Like, you're sort of showing no, no, them. Yeah, I was I showing mean, them around. You're showing them your, that you know the scene, you know that. I right. mean, did you start... So you're hanging out with them, are you... What I mean to say is that it was really apparent that we got along. Well, that's a huge... Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think when you're opening up a, a space like this, you better get along right. with the owners. Yeah. Because this is very much, as much as it is um, a restaurant, it is a lifestyle sort of approach to it. Sure, and like, yeah. the people that are coming, I mean, it's a certain... Not that not every restaurant is a restaurant, but this is a big focus on the certain clientele and the location and, and what it is, and it works... Well, but I think if you don't have the same vision as the guys who... Yeah, absolutely. It's like trying to have a clubhouse and not get along with the founders. Yeah. Um, so when did you start developing the menu? How early on did you know it wanted to be this like sort of fresh, you know... I mean, there's a lot of, in some ways, a lot of echoes to your childhood of like meats and greens yeah, and potatoes yeah, and things like that. Yeah. But you also have the raw bar. So how did yeah. that develop? So when we met, um, you know, there wasn't a name... And it was just a big raw empty space. Neuhaus was still just a giant. I, rem- I remember cavernous. seeing the tours. Yeah, Shout was, out to Seth Peterson who yeah. who took me around, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is gonna be amazing!" It's, 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 it's still, yeah. Did you see the Mr. Brainwash stuff that was here? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was really it was an empty it was a completely <gasps> empty canvas, and so to speak. And and uh, um, the day after I signed my paperwork to decided to join up with these guys they sent me an itinerary and sent me to japan and we flew as a surprise no they just wanted <laughs> it was like a it was like an immersion they wanted me to know exactly they were like okay the chef is hired all right get the crew together fly everyone out to japan we oh ended up God. in tokyo and then we basically started at the bottom of japan and just cruised our way up through we have quite a few amazing properties there and oh each property is its own microcosm run by its own general manager with its own sensibility very feng shui like there's no cookie cutter about it and so when it came to Paley um, that's when we started writing the menu because I was with uh, Nicola Fanucci who's you know um, eight years at the French Laundry he was there for the third Michelin star he was like he was kind of my my visionary partner and like trying to develop what we were going to do and knowing that we wanted to pay homage to the Japanese our to our to our company and then knowing that we wanted to stay express to California and then also I think that in the last five years, the gloves have kind of come off in California cooking, where where people aren't afraid to really mix it up on the plate. Like once sure. once Michelin walked away, everyone was like, "Well, we're just going to be ourselves. Like we didn't need you anyway." Right. You know. Right. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I mean, it's interesting to have. I'm sorry, my brain's just processing a little the fact that there is a distinctly Japanese influence here in what is a very American restaurant. But I guess once you see the attention to detail. Yeah. And the type of food coming out and the precision with it, there is a lot of, of that sort of, I guess, if the Japanese thought, like, we're going to do a restaurant in the center of Hollywood that's inspired by CBS and culture. Right, yeah. Even having the on-air signs yeah. for the in the bathroom, I right. guess it starts to make a little bit more sense in just the microcosm of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the attention to details I've seen. I think the other allure for these guys was that there's this insanely rich culture uh, cultural heritage to pull from. Sure. With I mean, it's named after Paley, yeah, Paley himself of CBS fame, and his wife, Babe, who's still I think called one of the best dressed women on the planet. Like, God, 
I mean, just amazing what they did here, and they're visionary in in every aspect, uh, from opening the first building exclusively for the broadcast of radio, and War of the Worlds was done here, um, to developing Columbia Records and mixing down the Beach Boys albums and Bob Dylan here, Led Zeppelin. Um, I mean, so music does play a big part in the restaurant. I mean, the soundtrack yeah. is quite awesome, and yeah. it's but it's definitely an American soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. I. Yeah, I think it's it's like everything um, that's that happens on a daily basis inside Paley's that we're really evolving and we want to evolve with our clientele. And I, it's a kind of a silly thing to say it only three months in, but it's a very real thing for us. We walk in there and if we can make one thing better every single day, we try it. We do it. You know? So, what are some of the the dishes? I mean, if someone's to come in, let's say I fly in from a different part of the world, world, I'm working at Noi House, I pop on over to Paley for dinner. What yeah. like what is the signature meal, or what would you recommend if something that's been on the road, sort of jet set? What's going to set them right? Um, I think here's the luxury that. I had to pull from is that there's it runs a pretty wide um, gamut it's goes from you know the dry aged Manhattan steak and basically mashed potatoes yeah. all the way up to these really esoteric dishes like the beef tartare with gochujang vinaigrette miso cream and um, grapefruit so you've got like Korean Japanese French California all on one plate um, which is pretty much an LA yeah, Fusion. I mean, it's like essentially all the best parts of LA. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's you know, and that's one cool thing is that, like I said earlier, the gloves are off. When I mean, we use really great ingredients. We use the best technique we can, French, modern, whatever, or Japanese, and then and then after that, all bets are off. It's like we will put any flavor on a plate as long as the whole thing has kind of a um, a catalyst for you know adventure for taking you somewhere else. I mean, it sort of goes back to what may have been like a postmodern approach to your painting where it's like we're right. going to all the because California in a way has been very trendy in sometimes the best and worst ways of food yeah, trends yeah, totally. but it sounds Absolutely, like what yeah. you have filtered out in the same way that a lot of postmodern painters do is like we're going to take the best techniques the best approaches right. and put that on a plate and it doesn't matter what the influence comes and we're going to create a new type of yeah. of art we were we were really focused on when Nicola and I were you know, on the bullet train going from, you know, Kobe to Tokyo. We as were, one does. Yeah. <laughs> as, one, as one does. Yeah, right. And I'm like, we're going to make popcorn ice cream, um, you know, or we're going to do, you know, the, the tartare dish was one of the first dishes I wrote of while we were just having these really intense stops and going through these meals. And we would, uh, the only time that we really had to relax was on the trains. And so... It's a, that's, it's a nice way to relax, though. Yeah, that's where we would write the concept in the menu. That's how we ended up with this, you know, more French formula of, like, you know, appetizers, entrees. Like, everyone's doing small plates. Should we make it easy on ourselves and do small plates? Or, or should we do it the right way and, and go old school with it? Can we, can we try to develop the new classic? Is there a way to look back, just as we did with the mid-century modern dining room, is there a way to look back to inform the present and the future in everything that we're doing? Can we... Can we express ourselves, you know, while still remaining classic? Is that is there is there a way to live inside that moment, you know? And that's what we endeavor to do anyway. And so, how often is the menu going to change? Is it going to be is it going to be sort of one sort of foot rooted in what you originally developed, but then constantly reinventing and coming back and moving forward? Exactly. Yeah, um, it's akin to with. I mean, it's a two hundred seat restaurant. Well, one hundred and fifty inside, but. Um, but it's akin to being on a train at 80 miles an hour. If you make a right turn, all the people are going to fall out. Right. And so what I've been doing is we look really closely at um, 
uh, not only the weather and about the farmers markets but things that aren't quite working the way that we wanted them to it's a constant state of evolution in that way where there will be parts the bones are still there from the original menu but everything around it just keeps on kind of getting you know changed up and, and we'll you know we'll just take something that we decided it's not working anymore boom thrust in a new one so awesome well I can't wait to see where it goes in the next three months the next three years and thanks man and I really like appreciate that. it um, I want to thank you for sitting down with us cool uh, where can people find you guys what's what's the address what's the in- the, the internet address as well um, the uh, uh, the street address is 6115 Sunset Boulevard mm-hmm. um, inside the Columbia Square Complex right in front of Neuhaus um, HaleyHollywood.com is our um, is our email you guys up on that gram social uh, media oh yeah big time Big time. How's yeah. your Graham game? Mine is terrible. Okay. Um, but uh, we have someone helping us with it. I was like, there's just no way. There's I'm, just no way. I, I just can't. I don't know. It's difficult for me to commit to that much. Um, well, I, I as a as a man whose wife has taught him much about Instagram, I, yeah. I, I, I have a good tutor, and she's, she's the best at that. Are you getting better? I have gotten better, but I still... I would say... The secret of all my food grams is that I send pretty much all the photos to her, even when we're not together. Yeah. I'd be like, babe, is this okay? Is this right? Yeah. Is this right? And then sometimes she'll just get frustrated with me and be like, I'm just going to do it for you. Yeah. The commitment to the camera is so intense. Uh, it's just... I mean, there's only so many ways you can shoot that a breakfast taco. I know, right? That makes people go, oh, I haven't seen it that way before. Yeah, completely. Uh, well, listen, thank you so much for being the show. Cool. Uh, super excited. We have Toki Monster, uh, who was back on the show couple years ago, um, one of our favorite tracks here on Snacky Tunes.
Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. Welcome back. Uh, we have Odd Kid out. Live hey, hey, hey. Uh, Can I call you Odd Kid or can I call you Butch? You can call me Butch. Okay, Butch. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming up from Philly. For sure. For uh, sure. Darren and I are from Philly as well. No Born way. and raised. Yeah. Why well, did you say that in the email? Well, just for this moment. <laughs> um, but I mean, when I say Philly, I you know, since you're from there, we're all from the main line. Are you from Philly proper? Or well, so technically I'm from the suburbs. So I'm like from Chestnut Hill area. Okay. Te- technically from Orland, but no one knows where that is. No, I, I've <laughs> never heard of that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, grew up in the burbs. And uh, now that I go to Drexel, living in the city in West Philly. So uh, how do you feel about living in Philly full time? I love it. it. It really puts you, as an artist and a creative, it puts you in a completely different environment. Because, in the, not that the burbs are bad, it's just like being around, you know, people my age and being around the city and just being influenced by everything happening there is like so much, so much better for me. Yeah, I mean, I think this, the second that we turned, like, became teenagers like the day we turned 13 we just started going to like the truck and the church yeah just going downtown as like as often as we possibly could i mean and we can see center city from our window but there's a difference between you know being in the suburbs and just being in it exactly uh what are some of your favorite rooms to play in there So I've played the TLA, which is actually probably one of the the best that's shows. That's amazing. I've yeah. I feel like that's like a total feather in the cap. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Especially growing up there. Oh yeah, it's like you gotta go to the TLA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's been a great place. I've played great shows at the Troc. Um, even plays like the Hard Rock is great. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that was a venue when I was, uh, or I don't ever remember going to shows. Oh, there, really? It was mostly like the forty forty, uh, which might, is not around anymore. But like yeah. the the truck and just a bunch of like also house shows as well. Right. 
definitely. Uh, what's the Drexel like house party show scene like? It's great. I mean, for what I do, being a producer in hip hop, there's not a lot of outlets. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff for like rock music and punk music. And right. I'll go to those every now and then just because I love all types of music. But um, but no, it's great. There's a lot of people at Drexel that that do music, obviously, and you know people want to find new music all the time. So. Um, you have a pretty interesting background uh, on things. So um, you did uh, School of Rock. You did mm-hmm. like drumming for Rock Legends. Like, tell us how you kind of got into all of this. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you the lowdown. Yeah. Um, so when I was like probably I don't know maybe five or six, my dad saw me like drumming in the back seat. Um, just like air drumming and he was like you know what let's buy him a drum set so when i was six, that's like the only parent that's ever said that <laughs> <laughs> i know right noise complaints yeah um so he bought me a drum set when i was six and um got enrolled in the school of rock which was like the best thing i could have done um for people who don't know wh- what is it mm-hmm. so it's basically like an after school program that kids can go to and once a week you do lessons and then you do shows so the shows consist of covers of like you know they have a classic rock show and you do that they have like acdc pink floyd all that stuff um and so i did that from around age eight to 14 um but i I stayed taking lessons there with a guy named jim love until i was probably 18 um and they just taught me so so much so i was very very grateful to to go there what was one of the things do you think like going to school of rock kind of like uh prepared you for that maybe just like being in bands and not getting like a more quote-unquote formal education yeah well it really taught me first of all how to format songs because when Mm -hmm. you're young and you have to learn how to memorize songs it, it kind of like becomes engraved in you um the other great thing was that you get to be surrounded by kids your age that like music because there's not a lot of musicians when you're younger that really want to take it seriously. So being in that environment was like priceless. So how did you make the jump from... Do you still play drums? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. So how did you make the transition, the jump from drums to producing and, and doing uh, like electronic music? So... I had always been a drummer, and I was just yearning to do something more creative. Not that the drums aren't creative, but I wanted a little more creative control. And um, for my, I guess, when I was 14, my mom bought me this this Native Instruments machine and Logic Pro. Dude, your parents are awesome. Dude, amazing. <laughs> that's, amazing. Like, that's like two key moves that you've already said. That's, that's great. They set me up for success. Yeah. Shout out, Mom and Dad. Um, but yeah, they got that for my birthday, and then uh, I spent... All of high did you ask for it or did they just like hey we read about this thing like we think you would be into this well my mom started noticing how much i liked hip-hop and like making beats and stuff and and she actually saw it on i think like apple's homepage. she just saw like logic pro go up and she's like hey do you want this for your birthday and i was like uh yeah <laughs> amazing <laughs> so that, awesome. that's like so i mean okay keep going so yeah yeah so anyway so <laughs> i spent like all of high school just sitting in my room figuring it out like i didn't take lessons for my mpc or anything like that i, I just youtube stuff and um i took what i knew from drumming and music and just put it to it so um can we hear something yeah yeah of course i'll put some on right now. uh what are you gonna do for us first uh i'm gonna play a beat called through you okay
So you mentioned that you're uh, at Drexel. How do you find the balance between being a musician and a student? Tough. <laughs> um, Go on. Yeah, so, I mean, both are very time-consuming and require a lot of attention and work. So, um, you know, sometimes I battle with choosing what comes first and what's more important. I mean, I love school, but... Um, what are you studying? Music business. Oh, so, I mean, it's relatable. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely relatable. I mean, there's there's sometimes where you have to take classes that have nothing to do with what you want to do, which is always a pain. But um, but no, I mean, I think I'm doing a good job, kind of balancing it all. It just it just takes a lot of you know, uh, planning and also just sacrificing a lot of things. You know, as far as like not going out on the weekends and to catch up on work and stuff. So I mean, if this goes well, you'll be out like far enough, like that'll like kind of even out in the end. Right. Um. How's the reception been to to your music, and you know where are you finding your place in the Philadelphia uh, musicscape? It's it's really been great. Um, I I just started producing as Odd Kid Out about eight or nine months ago, and um, in that time frame, I've I've gotten myself to around sixty five thousand followers on Instagram, and um, have I mean that's got- how I found you. I was Instagram? like just like through Instagram oh, really? and uh, your email was in there. I mean, that's how I found right. you. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, it works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just, <laughs> it's like an yeah. online business card. That's yeah. what I always say. And it's, it's kind of amazing. Like sometimes for bands, how hard it is to, f- to track them down. Yeah. Uh, but you made it real easy, well, which is why you're sitting great. here. Yeah, of course. Man. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's good because I took the connections that I had from drumming and just, you know, being in the music scene and, um, hit those people up and we're like hey you know i'm not just a drummer i'm a producer too and um been been booked on some shows and keeping it moving so um and how have like you found to like the older like philadelphia music scene like is it like you within the drexel scene or are you like in the larger philadelphia scene as well i would probably say i'm i'm doing more outside of drexel not that i don't have support from drexel i just find myself you know being in front of just people philadelphians you know before students um but but yeah, because that's because I'm just always going out to the city trying to meet new people. Uh, have you toured yet? As a producer, no. Oh, okay. As a drummer, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, and I know that you mentioned that you'd worked with like some like Grammy people or and mm-hmm. like some older people in the game. What what's the story there? So I'm very close with a guy named David Ivory who produced like The Roots and Patti LaBelle, Erica Badu. Um, and I work with Cam Hoff, who wrote a few Neo songs, I work with Beyonce. Um, there's just a lot of people, oh, the Nicola Brothers, um, who worked with like Cypress Hill and, and Lauren Hill and stuff. Um, that came from drumming. And then, you know, using those relationships to, to push the production career has been helpful, too. So did you work with them as a drummer? Yeah, first? as okay. a drummer. And, you know, I would intern at their studios in high school and, you know, just be like, if you need help, just call me, you know. Any uh, valuable lessons you picked up from interning or any advice you give to people who are, like, weighing, like, the pros and cons of... I'm all for interning, but mm-hmm. current generation uh, are maybe not as down with that. Any advice that you could give or kind of, like here's why you should do it yeah, or why I mean, you shouldn't do it. You should do it yeah. because all, first of all, you're learning the entire, if you pick a good internship, you're learning the entire time. So that's already amazing. And two, you become close with that person because after you spend uh, like, you know, days after days in the studio with the same person, you know, you build a rapport and you get called to do work after your internship is over. So, you know, and especially if it's in another place a, a, like, away from where you're living, then you get a whole new environment too. So, 
Yeah. I mean, and also the distance between the suburbs and the city at, like, 14 seems like a huge... Even now, you're like, oh, it's not that It's not that far. Yeah. But at that time, it's like, it might as well be, like, a world away. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the one thing that's interesting about producing, and you kind of touched on it, is that it's, like, it is so collaborative. So how do you find the artists that kind of work with you on the project, or how do you weave them in? to uh, odd kid out so i'm the type of person that just genuinely loves working with people um now if we want to talk about finding someone that's really you know meshing with my sound i kind of struggle with that um what do you mean well there's just not you know i don't know how to put it there's just not a lot of i haven't found many people that can really take my beats and do something with their voice over it that Mm. sounds like the way i wanted to that being said i've definitely come across like a good amount of people that have but the majority that i do it's it it doesn't feel like it necessarily meshes the greatest that it could who are some of the people that like fit well with your music yeah so um i'm contradicting myself but a good amount of people um a girl named ashley leone who's out in nashville now um i used to be her drummer and um she's got the second song on the ep uh that i just put out um and she sounds great on everything. She's got a beautiful voice. Um, a rapper named Odyssey, who I'm close with, who's a high school friend. He's on the EP as well. Uh, this guy named Luke Bryan from Philly. Um, a guitarist named Todd, who sings through his, his guitar. He's amazing. Um, Acoustic or electric? He does both, but mostly oh. electric. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so he's <laughs> awesome. awesome. The, the list definitely goes on. I'm missing a few, but... Uh, and like how does you know where is your approach in the process i mean people are so varied is it the beats are finished first and then you hand it over is it there's a framework like how does the collaboration um how how does it come together it definitely varies with who i work with so a lot of the times i have people just come to my studio and shop for beats so i'll just play them beats and you know you like it cool um other times i'll have people over like my friend mitch beer um he comes over and we start from scratch and both have their pros and cons. So, do you have like one that you prefer over the other? Um. Well, I guess I like working from the ground up with the person because then you feel like you're creating something together. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I'm just dishing beats to people, and like that's great. But I would much rather sit down with the person and really, you know, tailor it to what they what they would want. Great. Um, let's hear something else. Yeah, sure. I'll w- play a song off the EP. Okay, perfect. What's this called? Uh, I'm gonna play a more. This okay. is the single. Great. Bello mio, voglio solamente vedere figlioso te. Da quando ero piccola, avevo sogni di un fidanzato perfetto. Ti amo davvero, ti voglio bene. Salvami, baciami ancora, amami ancora, carissimo cuore mio, dammi tutto del tuo amore, amore. I know it's been a short time, but it feels like forever. You're always on my mind Now more than ever Can't remember life without you The memories just aren't there I think that my heart always knew That I needed you there Pretty sure I know what to call it Could call it love But I don't want to move too fast Identifying us Do the same rules apply When it's up to you
on that so that's uh gogo morrow who's a singer from philly uh, good name yeah dude, yeah she's awesome uh and then the rapper is bonnick who actually used to be um you know killing the game in philly uh a couple years back but yeah he's the man uh so what was the process of making this ep this is your first one right yeah so i, I released something senior year as like you know blah 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 that's but, fine that's, yeah, no no this, no, one, no one knows unless <laughs> unless you bring it up no one's gonna know so it's it's, a, it's up to you how you want to tell that story we'll just go back and say this is the first yeah so this is this is the first odd kid out release um yeah so i wanted it to be the way i put it is like an autobiography of music basically so um i wanted to tell my story um through music basically it, it, it's very much a story you have to listen to it from the beginning to the end and um the interludes within it you know kind of tell it um but i kind of wanted to make something that made people think and something that was cathartic to people you know um an ep is you know really about editing and you know not turning into lp so how were you able to tell your story or how did you kind of craft the story over like a shorter form so the EP was actually originally like 15 songs. and it, Of course. Yeah, so yeah. We, I had to cut it down. All gold. Right. All gold. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to cut it down to six, um, and that was probably the hardest part of the EP, was figuring out how to make up for all of that lost um, storytelling. So what I kind of left it up to was the emotions within the beats to, mm. to kind of speak on that, and then... Um, there's little tiny little snippets of things that you'll catch at the beginning and the end and if you take the time to sit and think and piece it all together it'll make sense 
Do you have like uh, who are your like trusted ears? Like who who do you send before it gets like the final lock? So my roommate Scott, <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> is that default? No. Like, did you get paired no. freshman year? And you're <laughs> <laughs> so we've been friends since um, high school, and we went to Drexel together, and. He, you know, I'll call him into the studio and be like, hey, I need you to come listen to this because I trust him very much. Um, uh, another person was my manager, Kirkland Lynch. Um, I would send it to him, let him hear it. Um, and then the people I was talking about before, like David Ivory and, and all those people that really have a good ear and that I trust. Um, and friends like, you know, um, my friend Mitch Beer that I was talking about before, he helped out a lot too. So. And, uh, is it uh, like open for refinement? Like, do you take their notes in or is it more like, or, or how, how do you take that in? Like, even if you feel it's like done or where do you send it to them in the process? I send it to them when I feel excited about it hmm. and it takes me, you know, I don't necessarily get hyped up about something when I make it. it. It kind of takes a little bit until I feel like it's at that point. And when I send it, I don't send it with the mind frame that it's done. I very much want someone to beat me up with their comments. Like I want, I want as much feedback as possible because I'm jaded because it's my own ear. So, oh, you know, so, you, so your skin's pretty thick, or like just something. Oh yeah, okay. no, I want people to tell me what's up because I'll make the changes. I'm not Has someone like ever said something that kind of like slid right beneath the breastplate, kind of right. cut you a little bit? Yeah, it doesn't bother me. Oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, and what's cool about this is that you released it on BitTorrent too. Yeah. So how yep. did that, I mean, that's, I mean, that seems like a, such a modern kind of, uh, move. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that come about? Well, we, my manager and I thought it was a great move because they have so many listeners. Um, and when we got approached about the situation, you know, we kind of just wanted to jump on it. Um, and the, also the great thing about it was that we got to do this, um, premium edition, type thing where people could enter their emails and then they'll get like you know the a more video and they'll get some pictures and stuff so it was just a way to be more personal with the fans what happens to the other songs i was gonna ask for the other uh songs the nine songs that didn't make it onto the ep is that just like ep2 ep3 do they just kind of live somewhere else i don't know i mean they may re-emerge at some point i mean they're sitting in my itunes library um but i want to do something with them for sure um plans for the summer tour Yes, I'm actually out in the studio. I'm (laughs) actually headed to LA for the summer, and I'm interning. Where are you interning? uh, Red light management. Oh, amazing! Yeah, the more business of the exact side, exactly. They're great. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. And um, the great thing is that I'm gonna keep talking about my manager. He lives out there, um, so I'll be able to really, um, you know, spend time with him and, and work on my craft on my days that I'm off. So, I mean, don't knock a good team. No. Like you can go very, very far. Like you should, you should really like your manager. Oh my gosh, and your day to day and everything. Yeah. Um, do you know you're gonna live in LA? No, that's the one thing I haven't figured out, and it's stressing me out. You gonna get a car? I don't know. Can you only rent it when you're like 25? Uh, yeah, I guess that is a cons- yeah, that right? is a concern. I don't know. I've done Uber. I, we have a. I work out there, and I mm-hmm. have been out there for three years. I have not rented a car in three years. Uber's like kind of really cheap. Out I heard there. the bus is the move. Yeah, I think, like, the rule is that as long as you're willing to pick up, like, all the Ubers, mm-hmm. you can probably, like, get rides for half the things. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you just have to, like, you you can't be the person without the car and be right. like, oh, oh, I would have gotten that one. You have to right. be the first to offer. Right. And I think you, I don't know. It depends. And if you're going to be in the studio most of the time anyway or yeah. at work. I'm going to try and get housing, like, right next to where I'm working so I don't have to, like, you know, travel too far. Yeah. I mean, it's the one thing that kills me. I mean, it's the most classic East Coast complaint, but the traffic really... <laughs> yeah. It's, like, the most, like, stereotypical <laughs> thing for me to say. It's, like, the the traffic. Um, well, I know we want to leave a lot of time for you to do a freestyle at the end just to kind of let you 
uh, spread your uh, legs yeah. and take us for a walk. But sure. um, where can people f- find you? How can they add to that ever-growing Instagram account, book you, <laughs> shop for beats, build songs from the ground up? Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube, uh, Spotify, iTunes, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all under Odd Kid Out, and that's O-D-D-K-I-D-O-U-T. Um, you are so well-trained. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, Every, it's really easy. Just type in Odd Kid Out. I'll pop up. You'll see mine. Uh, cool. It's well, my face. Uh, I want to thank um, our guest today. Uh, shout out to the family. Shout out to Berlin. And uh, any name for the freestyle? You're just going to just let it go? Yeah. This is just kind of like a little thing I put together. Okay. Great. Uh, well, thanks for being on here and take it away. Yeah. Thank you so much.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.